Hello everyone, welcome to our teaching time. My name is Andrew Bowles, I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. Well, we're quite now into spring, aren't we? Apart from the odd day when, we're, when the rain returns and it's cold again, but the season of spring is really upon us. And that means that our gardens, of course, now are much more active than they were a month or so ago. Flowers are coming out, things are starting to bloom, and so it's wonderful, isn't it? Unfortunately, that means that everything is starting to grow more vigorously. So I find myself hearing basically 24-7 people running their lawn mowers and uh, trimmers all around the neighbourhood trying to keep the grass in check. And of course, we're all now grappling with uh, the reality of weeds and how to keep those under control as they start to grow and spread everywhere. We don't want them to be. So when I think about weeds, this often brings up for me the question, well, what really makes something a weed? What makes something a weed? I've actually looked that up when I was thinking about this once, and a weed in some definitions can be a plant that is harmful or toxic to human beings, something that is actually unpleasant for us. But essentially, the real definition of a weed is actually that it is a plant that is somewhere that we don't want it to be. It's a plant that's growing where we don't want it to, causes problems for the plants that we do want to grow or other things that we want to happen in that space. And so one of the great arts of gardening, of course, is to figure out which plants should be where they are, how to get rid of weeds, things that are not where they should be, and how to do so without damaging the plants that we do want to thrive and grow in those spaces. I say this, of course, because our parable, as you've heard today, is about weeds. And Jesus uses our common gardening issue with weeds as a way of describing and explaining the kingdom of God. And so this is our second sermon in this series where we're looking at uh, some of the parables that Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, to explain the concept of the kingdom of God to people. And last week I looked at the famous parable of the sower, where Jesus used the image of a farmer spreading his seed around his uh, field and the harvest that comes from that as a way of explaining how people respond to hearing about the kingdom of God and the different soils and the different ways that we we find that we respond as God speaks to our hearts. And so that parable describes the different ways that people respond to God when they hear about Jesus and his kingdom and when we're confronted with the reality of God at work in our world. Today, the parable of the wheat and the weeds looks at a different aspect of the kingdom of God. And so just to remind you before we look at it, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're really describing is the reality of God's active presence in the world. So the kingdom of God, it's a broad idea. It includes many different things. It's not just a political idea. It's not so much about uh, a kingdom or a nation that we can see in the world. It's more about all the different ways that we can see the presence of God active in the world around us, changing things, uh, setting things free, saving people, changing our lives. And that presence is invisible, but it can be seen through the effects that it has on our world. And so the parable that we can see today is about how we understand what is Jesus saying about the kingdom of God in light of the fact that this world we live in contains many people who reject God and his kingdom. And also a lot of evil things that seem counter to the kingdom of God and resisting its spread throughout the world. So that's, I think, what this parable is addressing as Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God. So in one sense, this parable today is about the well-known problem of evil from the perspective of the kingdom of God. 
And as most of us probably know, the problem of evil uh, for Christians really asks why. If God is loving, as we believe, if God is powerful, if God is in control, why then do evil things and sufferings still persist in his world? Is perhaps God not actually powerful enough to stop this? Or does he not care enough to stop it as we think he should? And this is, of course, a problem that troubles many people very deeply, including many Christians. And it's probably the most difficult problem that we have to wrestle with as we go on in our faith in Jesus and to trying to trust him and for God's purposes in our lives as we go on. So in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus looks at this problem of evil from the point of view of the kingdom of God. And Jesus gave the message that God's kingdom, God's presence in the world, was coming in in a new way with him and things were going to change. We were going to see the kingdom coming in more and more. And so the question that might come up naturally for us as we look around 2,000 years later is why, if that's true, do so many people still reject this kingdom and do not trust in what Jesus had to say? And why is there so much in the world that is still counter to God's kingdom and its purposes? Why does evil still persist? Why does God not get rid of evil, punish those who do it, and bring about a new order? What's the hold up? So I think that's the question that we're looking at today. And that was a particularly pressing question, not just for us, but for the people that Jesus was speaking to at the time, because they were hoping very strongly that the kingdom of God was going to come in in their day. But their expectation was that when the Messiah, when God's promised king came, what he would do is he would make a clean sweep of the world in a military victory, conquering their enemies and bringing about an actual kingdom on the earth where God's purposes and will were done. So Jesus had to help his people understand that the kingdom of God was very different to this and to understand what it would look like for the kingdom of God to come and the way that it would work. And so that's the purpose of this parable for them. And so let's look at what this parable says. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a field of wheat. And so the farmer has sowed his good seed in it, which is growing up. But during one night, his enemy has come and sown the seeds of wheat all the way throughout the field as well. Now, Jesus is drawing here from an actual real life issue in his day. And the weeds that he's probably referring to are probably supposed to be a plant which is called darnel. And it's a poisonous plant which happens to look almost exactly like wheat, so much so that it's commonly called false wheat. And so the, the problem with darnel is that it's actually only really easy to see the difference between true wheat and this weed at the very end of the growing season when the grain comes out because darnel has black grains unlike the usual golden grains of wheat. And so that made it a very effective method if you wanted to sabotage your competitor's field uh, to stop their wheat crop from being able to be harvested because they wouldn't know that you'd done it until it was too late and it would make it almost impossible for them to harvest their wheat crop effectively and bring it in. So that's the dilemma that's faced the farmer in this parable. Someone has done this to his field. And so his servants discover it quickly, hopefully, and they want to do something to solve the problem. They want to clear the weeds out. But the farmer believes and says to them that trying to do so at this stage would only damage the rest of the crop. So he tells them, we're going to have to wait until after the harvest when we can separate the weeds from the wheat out after we've pulled them out of the ground. 
And after having done that, then we can dispose of these weeds. And so I think we can see then this is supposed to be a picture of the reality of the kingdom of God and how it works in the world. As we heard last week, God has planted, Jesus said, the seeds of his word throughout the world in people's hearts. And some of them have sprouted and people's lives are being changed. But he says today, I think, that alongside that, there are other things that have been planted in our world, things that are growing alongside God's kingdom that are opposed to God. So the world, as we currently experience it, is a mixed place. It's a place of ambiguity. And there are people who are not what they seem. There, are e- there is evil out there that appears perhaps at this stage to be good or is difficult to distinguish from good. It's difficult to discern, to discern what is right and what is wrong and to separate out good from evil until both of those things are fully grown in the world and can be truly seen for what they actually are. And so Jesus is telling these people and us that the world and the kingdom of God is actually a more complicated place than we might appear. And solving the problem of evil, the problem of the weeds, it requires more patience and more care than we might think or hope. The problem of evil will be solved, he says, but it has to wait finally until the harvest time, until the growth of the wheat and the weeds has been completed and they can be properly separated out. And so we can see in the parable, according to the farmer, that this means we do have to tolerate these weeds for a while. Perhaps our instinct when we're faced with the reality of weeds in our garden is to attack them as quickly as possible with a chemical pesticide or something else to get them out. You know, if Roundup had been invented back in the first century, the farmer's servants would probably have suggested that they go and give a good spray out in the field to get rid of them. That would solve the problem nicely, wouldn't it? Except, of course, as the farmer points out, that these weeds are actually all mixed in with the wheat. It's not possible to treat them in that way without damaging the entire crop, without destroying the wheat that's growing alongside these weeds as well. I think this idea that the servants have of rooting out um, these weeds before time is very, it's a fitting analogy for a common approach that we might take when we're faced with dealing with evil in the world and and how we uh, might uh, come to grips with it. Because a lot of us, I think, including our political leaders, seem to be of the opinion that evil in the world can be solved through the method of dropping a lot of bombs or perhaps putting a lot of people in jail. So the the idea is there are evil people out there and so you drop some bombs on them or you get them and you put them in jail and that will deal with the evil in the world. Problem solved. Now leaving aside the question of whether that would work, The reality is there is a problem in those approaches of what we call collateral damage. You know, the bomb goes astray and it hits a target it's not meant to. Happens all the time. People are wrongly convicted and sent to jail in a way that is not fair. And again, that happens quite regularly. And the same, I think Jesus would say, is is true with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual reality. It's about the growth of the presence of God in people's lives It's about a slow transformation of people's lives, things that are hidden and not necessarily seen, but is real, and change that happens in a way that can be hard to discern. The bad is always mixed in with the good. And the balance between those two things, even in our own individual lives, is changing day by day or even hour by hour. And so the triumph of good, Jesus says, it can't be brought about under these circumstances through forceful means 
at least not successfully, while leaving the good intact. Often Christians have been fooled, I think, to be thinking that it would be best to kind of apply a bit of pesticide to the world's problems, to root out evil using military action, using very harsh laws to punish those who do the wrong thing. And there may be cases, of course, when it is necessarily it is necessary to deal forcefully with particular outbreaks of evil. But it becomes a problem, perhaps, when we believe in general that we can root out all evil, all wrongdoing from society by force. And that kind of thinking is, of course, the foundation of all totalitarian societies. But we can sometimes apply it not just to society, but to our own lives as well, when we want to get rid of all the sin and all the wrong that we can see inside ourselves and to become more holy people. Or we might take up the task upon ourselves of perfecting our friends and our family and making them perfect and rooting out the evil from their life as well. And in that process, if you know, if you've seen this happen, we actually tend to destroy a lot of good things. It's possible to be so focused on getting rid of sin that alongside that we tear up and destroy good activities, good pleasures that God has given us to enjoy in this world. And that's a perennial temptation for zealous and passionate religious people to do. People who want to be good and want to see good triumph. And so Jesus is saying that way is not how God rules his kingdom. He allows the weeds to grow among the wheat. He allows evil and ambiguity to grow throughout the growth of his kingdom. Because the nature of the world is that the collateral damage of rooting out evil by force can be too great. And this may exasperate us because we want justice to triumph now, but it is the wisest way. And Jesus says it will lead to the final victory of God in the end at his harvest time. In this parable, therefore, I think Jesus undercuts both of our usual responses to the problem of evil. When we think about the problem of evil, one thing we tend to do is blame God for not dealing with the evil and pain in the world and say, why? The parable shows us that this is perhaps due to our short-sighted or impatient view of what does it actually mean to deal with evil, and that dealing with evil in short-term and destructive ways may not have the results that we want. However, the parable also on the other side challenges, I think, our complacency about the way that we personally, and perhaps as a community, are complicit with the evil and injustice in the world. It's a bit daunting to contemplate what it would mean for us to be confronted with the judgment of God about the the extent to which evil is true in our lives. But the message of the judgment of the weeds, their burning at the end, is just the flip side of God's patience with evil. He will finally deal with it in a decisive manner. But now, until then, he is waiting for the weeds to grow alongside the wheat. So in this end, the parable tells us that the justice and the patience of God are our hope in the face of the problem of evil in the world, and that God's kingdom is actually growing in the midst of the world, even though it remains a mixed-up place. And so our hope is not just that evil people will be punished, because, of course, all of us are tangled up with evil to some extent. Our hope is instead that God will finally and carefully weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, as Jesus says in verse 41. Everything that causes sin will be weeded out of our world. 
And that means then the good news that all of us have the opportunity for repentance and change now. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, like all parables, it's limited in its application because, of course, in the real world, it is possible for the weeds of evil or people who are experiencing evil to change into the wheat and to become good, to amend their lives. People can change and we do it all the time. And that's one of the reasons, of course, then, that God is patient with us. And we want to read to you an example of this, talking about the issue of God's patience and God's justice from uh, this letter of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. So Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I think we can take away several things from this parable today. Firstly, and it's, it is an encouragement for us to persevere with hope in the midst of the world in the way that it is. This includes not being tempted to take upon ourselves the task of rooting out all the evil in the world around us in the lives of the people that we know, or in ourselves. God will bring it out in his own time if we cooperate with him, and he may be a lot more, Im- more patient with imperfection than we are. But alongside that, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is a reminder that there is always wheat among the weeds. It's not just the parable of the weeds. It's a reminder and encouragement that God's kingdom, God's purposes are growing in the world. And we should be encouraged by that and we should help that growth where we, and encourage it where we can see it. And to know that the world won't be mixed up forever. At the end of it, all the wheat will be gathered together. And as Jesus says in verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father.